Are we witnessing the death of oil on this energy edition of Industry Focus? Greetings, fools. I am Sean O'Reilly, joining you from beautiful Alexandria, Virginia, at Full Headquarters, joined by the best in the business, Tyler Crow. How Don't are you? Really give me a big head. That's a really bad idea. You, if we're you, gonna do this for twelve minutes. You are the best in the business, no, Tyler. No, not not even close. Fine, fine, fine. All right, sit over there and sip your tea. Um, so, uh, beautiful day here in Alexandria. I was excited to come in here. I want to talk to you about oil. Um, first and foremost. Uh, Bloomberg's new energy finance group just came out with a report, and I found this rather salacious, that uh, battery costs have come down about 60% in the last three years, and that, of course, raised eyebrows. And, you know, we've obviously got Mr. Elon Musk putting out all his Teslas, trying to make 55,000 cars a year. And I thought, boy, are we uh, are we witnessing the end of oil? And the guys over at Bloomberg, and they're not the first ones to say this, say that, yes, we might be. If we all put batteries in our cars, that's a big chunk of oil demand. So... Uh, I want to talk to you about the potential myth that exists here and your thoughts on the matter. I, I Let me first contextualize this. I am extremely, extremely optimistic about the potential of uh, battery-powered, alternative energy-powered vehicles uh, capturing a very large market share over the next several years uh, when it comes to uh, the passenger, light-duty, kind of gasoline engine, you know, the thing that you and I see every day. I'm extremely optimistic on the potential of that capturing market share and, and reducing gasoline demand. Having said that, uh, I think it is very, very presumptuous to say because of that, we would see the end or the death of oil production. And here's why. Uh, like we just said, it when it comes to batteries, it comes to passenger travel, it uses gasoline. Well, there is another um, type of oil that we use out there. It's called distillate and diesel. Basically, anything that runs on a long-haul truck, the airline industry, jet fuel, anything like that, uh, we still haven't quite found a, a viable technology as of yet to really replace that sort of energy demand. And if we look at energy demand globally over the next 20, 30 years, it actually, most expectations from oil companies, from the International Energy Agency, just about everybody says that gasoline is expected to be flat and or decline, but the demand for diesel is expected to double over that time. So what we're looking at That's here- That's a lot of plane flights. That is a lot of plane flights. That is a lot of moving goods. Well, and oil's in all our plastics too, isn't it? Chemical I mean, demand is going to be yeah. growing. And the biggest reason that they see this massive demand or this uh, increase in demand for these products is global demographics. If we look over the next 20, 30 years, we're going to add another 2 billion people to the planet. And more importantly, we are going to see the global middle class. Uh, what is considered the global middle class is anybody that makes over $15,000 annually. doesn't sound like that much in the United States. And, and has a car. And has a vehicle <laughs> and is purchasing goods. And those goods need to move from across the world. Uh, we are going to see a boom in the global middle class uh, from 1.8 billion today to 4.8 billion by 2040. So in that time frame, we have more than doubled the global middle class, people who will be consumers, people who will be demanding goods and actually having disposable income for so, things like that. So these guys are at Bloomberg. They may, may very well be right, but we have to do this because otherwise we're going to be in a world of trouble. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I totally agree with everything that they say along the lines of passenger vehicles and that light duty removing gasoline off of the table. 
But when we look at everything else that's going on, I just don't see yeah. the end of oil anytime soon. Have too. you seen any projections kind of staying a step back um, in between how much oil the United States consumes every day? I think it's like 9 million barrels or something. Uh, that is production. We produce okay. about produce 9, nine, nine million, million a right. day. We and consume, we consume uh, somewhere between 17 and 18 okay. right now. Our, our consumption has gone down considerably in the past seven years, in large part to some of the things we talked about. I mean, we have more efficient vehicles than we did you know, as much as 16 years ago. Uh, we have alternatives that they're taking a very small market chunk, but it's happening. Right. And so th those sort of things, we are definitely in the United States seeing a reduction in our demand. For How much of that 17 or 18 goes to cars? You, you are know, asking me a question. The I wrong one. I, I was just curious um, because, I mean, even if you take away half of that, but it goes to one China, which is still slowing down but growing at seven percent. They're going to want cars. I mean, well, if you want to take that into account too, you also have the fact the United States is actually exporting about three million barrels per day, maybe a little less than that in total refined petroleum products. You're talking about your gasoline, your diesel, all those right. things. So yeah, we're. We have that capacity to build that, but at the same time, we are actually reducing our demand and sending some of that excess demand overseas. As we should be. Very As good. We should be. Okay. So, uh, and actually, that leads us right into the second thing that I want to talk about, which is uh, recently a report came out, and this was all over the news a couple of days ago, that the U.S. is on pace to be energy independent by, I think, 2017. Um, and that, that sounds it makes such a great headline. You know that energy oh, independence. I clicked on it. it we got can me. put a giant American flag behind an oil derrick, and everybody's yeah, America, we can do this. Have, 2017. Have a, have, a, have a bald eagle fly oh, in. Can yeah. you imagine a presidential campaign that will run on energy dependence by 2017? That just sounds seventy percent awesome. of the vote guaranteed yeah, immediately. <laughs> um, yeah, presidential candidates. I hope you're listening. Um, kind of doubt it though. No. <laughs> Don't um, cite us, please. Don't cite us. So these two guys at Motley Fool said that we should do this, Hillary. No. Um, but uh, not only that, you know, we are going to do this, but we should from a national security point. So cut off Iran, cut off Saudi Arabia, cut off Venezuela, don't buy anything from them at all, produce our own oil, consume our own oil, and just shut ourselves off from the world. You seem to think that could be bad, though. I think that is, from an economic competitive advantage standpoint the United States has. That sounds well, like... Well, econ, econ 101 says the person that's best at doing something should do it. And, and one of the best things that we are at is refining crude oil. And what that means is that we should not be doing, or we should be doing the exact opposite of what, of what we just said. said. Now, let me be clear. When I say energy independence, I think we can actually get there, but to, it would be in our best interest to do it from a net production consumption method rather than the let's hoard all of our oil oil let's only you know consume produce what we consume and you know all of that sort of idea and here is the biggest reason why for the from 1972 until about the the boom in shale fracking which happened like 2008 2009 we saw a gradual decline in the United States oil and we became over more and more reliant on global oil and to do that to do it in the least expensive way possible we built a massive refining complex in the United States that was very, very good at taking really, really junk crap oils, these heavier, <laughs> lower quality, cheaper 
uh, crude oils. You know, you've seen stuff coming out of Canadian tar sands, heavier oils coming out of Venezuela, coming out of Saudi Arabia. These are well, harder. I just found out. Sorry to interrupt. I just found out that um, Saudi Arabia just you know had its highest production just over 10 million barrels a day um, recently. But for them to go beyond that, it's really low quality crude. It is. I just found it's, that it's, out. It's a sour so. crude. It's it's very hard to refine, and a lot of places around the world don't have the ability to take that oil and convert it into a high percentage of valuable products such as gasoline or diesel anything like that and so what we just to give a, an example of this um, there is a way that refineries are measured in terms of complexity their ability to do that take bad product and turn it into something better like a higher yield of high value products it's called the Nelson complexity index uh, the global re- average for a refinery uh, on this Nelson Complexity Index is 5.7. In the United States, every single U.S. independent uh, oil and gas refiner has a company-wide index rating of 8.2, and most of them are above 11. So, not saying... Is there any other country in the world? Not even close. Not even close when it comes to that. And, you know, it's not a linear relationship. It's not like we're two times more complex than anybody else. It's just, it shows that there is a significant difference between our ability to refine oil and the world's ability to refine oil. And for us to, you know, shut off that ability where... With taking those and the hundreds oils. of billions that have been invested and in the hundreds of billions that have been invested in that, it seems like it would be losing our competitive advantage because the oil that we produce here in the United States is this wonderful, light, sweet crude that is very, very easy to refine and turns into a ton of diesel uh, oil that is coming or gasoline actually. The oil that comes out of the Bakken, uh, excuse me, has a gasoline yield of greater than forty percent. That is some of the highest rated oil in the world. It's really, really easy to refine, and so it can garner a premium uh, when you sell it as crude. However, those cheap, junky ones that we're buying from other people are much less expensive. I mean, you look at so we should be sending the back in oil. We should send back in oil overseas, their... get a nice high price for yeah. it, buy somebody else's really cheap stuff uh, that we can refine and actually turn into something better. And then we can even turn around and sell a little bit of extra of that of the gasoline at so a So what you're saying yield. is the U.S. energy industry is a hedge fund. <laughs> basically. <laughs> basically. I mean, we have it – would, it just doesn't seem like in our natural – yes, in the, from a national security, if we needed to all of a sudden isolate ourselves, you know, we have that ability. We could do that. But why throw away a major competitive advantage the United States has in the refining industry just – to meet this kind of uh, aspirational goal of that sounds good only energy. in a presidential campaign exactly. So long term, um, just bringing it back around, uh, it sounds like the investment takeaway here is that we probably don't need to freak out and sell all our oil stocks because these batteries are getting really efficient. I don't see any reason to be selling off your shares of. Exxon Mobil, your companies within the space who, for repeated years, have been able to not only spend a ton of money in this space, but actually generate excess cash from that and return it to shareholders. Quite possibly one of the most difficult things to do in the oil and gas industry. If you can find companies that can do that, you'll be fine. Game over. Very good. Well, thank you for your thoughts, Tyler.
Thank you. And uh, before we go, I want to make our listeners aware of a special offer. If you're looking for more foolish stock ideas, Stock Advisor may be the thing for you. It's our flagship newsletter started more than 10 years ago by Motley Fool co-founders Tom and Dave Gardner. We're offering the lowest price out there for our industry-focused listeners, $98 for a two-year subscription to Stock Advisor. You'll get two stock recommendations every single month with insight from our team of analysts. Just go to focus.fool.com to take advantage of this deal. Once again, that's focus.fool.com. And as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Tyler Crow, I'm Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!